Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Hello there, my Mysterians. This is Terry from Texas, your presenter on Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to take a moment to remind you, not that it's honestly necessary, but to remind you that when I first started Terry's Mysterious Moments, I gave a lot of ghost stories, a lot of stories about Bigfoot, UFOs, strange things that happened. A lot of the paranormal type stories. Then I realized that mysterious doesn't always mean paranormal. It can mean weird facts. Then I started giving you stories about soldiers that did unbelievable things, uh, wartime experiences that caused you to scratch your head. So that's that's what I, I like to think of is what I do here is to give you head scratchers. Give you something to think about. Maybe even look up yourself and study. Well, that's what we're going to do this week. In World War One, which started in 1914 and was brought on by the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife and involved geez, almost every country in Europe, including the Soviet Union, against Germany and their few allies at the time. But America didn't get into it at first. America stayed out of the war for the better part of three years because Americans were pretty much tired of fighting in the less than 200 years they had been a country we had had the revolution we had the war of 1812 we had throw in the French and Indian war back there Um, we had the war with Mexico the the Alamo you know Battle of the Alamo the battle for Texas then we had, after, after the Alamo time, we started having troubles with Native American groups that were honestly being railroaded out of their territory and sent somewhere else to live because the great big Europeans wanted proper land to live on. Well, I'm not going to throw stones at them because... I was, my family was some of those Europeans that came in. So anyway, but we had war with the Indians for 60 years or more. And during that time, we had the Civil War for four years. Then after the Civil War, we had uh, the Spanish-American War. You know, we had... uh, coming up to 
just before World War One for us, we dealt with Pancho Villa and, and sent people down into Mexico to get him. So anyway, I think America was just tired of fighting and losing their young men to fight old men's battles. Anyway, in World War One, we had some pretty famous people. Who can forget General John J. Blackjack Pershing, who fought in the Spanish-American War with Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders. He wasn't a Rough Rider. He was the captain of, or major, whatever his rank was, of the 10th uh, Cavalry, which is the Buffalo Soldiers, the Black Soldiers, who fought well alongside the Rough Riders. No argument. But they were a bunch of men who were used to being mistreated because of their color, because of their ethnicity. And that's one of the things I want to talk about tonight is an ethnic individual in World War One. Now, we know of other famous heroic individuals in World War One. We know that um, President Harry Truman served as a captain of artillery in World War One. We know that Alvin York is probably the most famous soldier of World War One because of all the things he did and and were was credited with doing. I'm not saying he didn't do them. You know, he was that kind of guy. He he was a he was a, a pacifist at heart because of his religious enlightenment. But then he realized that even as a pacifist to be able to support his government, support his country, protect his family if need be. So he went and fought in the war and became famous for it. Well, jump ahead to the next war just for context. One of the groups that we hear so much about is the Nisei soldiers, the Japanese-American soldiers who fought in Europe during World War II as a unit. Um, I don't remember, I think it was the 442 Regimental Battle Group or something like that. They did wonderful things. But World War One started something that World War II worked on and, and in expanded upon. We hear in World War II about the Navajo Code Talkers who were used to send messages because the uh, Germans could listen in to the radio conversations and they had broken codes used by the Americans. So you had these Navajos using their own language, which the Germans didn't know and didn't know how to decode. So they became famous, although not for a long time after World War II, for using their own language that they would get in trouble for speaking in America. But they, they use their own language to send messages in code back and forth 
and did a world of good for the American army and the Allies, I suppose. Well, that didn't start in World War II. That wasn't a brainchild of someone in 1941 suddenly going, oh, hey, let's use people that don't speak English. In World War I, there was a certain group of Native Americans called the Choctaw. And when people talk about the Trail of Tears back when Andrew Jackson moved all of the Indians out of the southeast, the Trail of Tears was the path that the Native Americans took to leave their homelands and go to places like Oklahoma. And it's really funny, one time on Facebook, I was watching a guy type this. He said, my people were Cherokee. We were on the Trail of Tears. I said, hey, Bubba, check this out. My people were Choctaw, and they were in front of the Cherokee on the Trail of Tears. Never heard from him again. Well, I've done a couple of DNA tests since then, and nowhere does... Choctaw show up in my heritage, although I know that my, I believe it is my great-great-grandmother was Choctaw, full blood. So there's got to be in there somewhere. Anyway, these Choctaw gentlemen voluntarily joined the army to go fight World War I. And somebody got to noticing that when they were having conversations amongst themselves, nobody could understand what they were saying because they were speaking the Choctaw language. So somebody got a brilliant idea somewhere down the line. Hey, let's let these men talk to each other and send coded messages because apparently radio security or radio telephone security was not a big priority or a well-kept situation. Germans could find the, the wires, tap into them, and listen to anything we had to say. So, had a group of men from the Choctaw Nation in World War One who had all joined a couple of division, a couple of, I guess his divisions, of the 36th Infantry Division, which, pat myself on the back, it was a Texas division, the 36th Division is. It's a T on an arrowhead. Not that everybody was from Texas. I mean, these gentlemen were living in Oklahoma, in the Indian Territory at the time. But they had a, a handful of these Choctaw soldiers who sure will do the radio for you and speaking Choctaw on the radio the Germans were going we have no idea what these yahoos are saying I don't think they said yahoos but we have no idea what these gentlemen are saying and we can't break this code well because Choctaw like Navajo didn't have a lot of words for modern situations like machine guns. A Choctaw man had to tell another Choctaw man that there were 
three different areas over there that had the little gun that shoots fast. That was a machine gun. Uh, artillery was the big guns. We, we kind of figured that one out, but there was this one man whose name was Joseph Oklahombe. Not Oklahoma, Oklahombe. And he was born in the Choctaw Nation in Indian Territory back in 1895. So that by the time these gentlemen were well-versed in radio conversation and they worked out their, their words, the Germans had absolutely no idea what these guys were saying, number one, because it was in a different language, and number two, they were using words that, you know, weren't military. Well, this man named Joseph Oklahoma was one of them. And he became the most decorated soldier from Oklahoma in World War I. He served in Company D, 1st Battalion, 141st Regiment, 71st Brigade of the 36th Infantry Division. In October of 1918, Private Oklahoma was at Saint-Étienne, France. And he and other 23 other soldiers attacked an enemy position. And get this, 24 men captured 171 Germans and killed 79 to 99 more. They held their position for four days while continually under attack. Oklahoma was awarded the Silver Star with the Victory Ribbon and the Croix de Guerre from France's Marshal Henri-Philippe Pétain. At the time, the members of the Choctaw Nation were not considered U.S. citizens, which is wrong, but they were not considered U.S. citizens, so it was okay for them to get the award from the French. Oklahoma was married, and he had a son. And he lived until 1960 with some idiot in a truck hit him and killed him just yards from his home. He was buried with military honors at Yashau, Yashau Cemetery in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. The chief of the Choctaw Nation, Gary Batten, had this to say. Many of you know the story of the Choctaw Code Talkers of World War One and World War Two, and also the story of Code Talker Joseph Oklahoma, who single-handedly captured 171 Germans after moving two yard, 200 yards over open ground against artillery and machine gun fire, rushing a machine gun nest and capturing one of the guns. He not only turned the gun on the enemy for four days, keeping them under fire, but he was without food and water those four days, killing numerous enemy soldiers until the rest surrendered. Although he was awarded the Silver Star and Marshal Petain awarded him the Croix de Guerre, the Congressional Medal of Honor was never presented, although it was promised. 
and it is a long overdue recognition. And Chief Bratton, Chief Batten said, I am working to see the Medal of Honor presented to Oklahoma. And if you look up Joseph Oklahoma on the internet, you can probably find out how to help get that done because this man deserves it even though he's been gone for a long time. His, his family and his people deserve to know that they had a regular bona fide hero from their midst. It's, uh, it's terrible to know that the United States doesn't always and hasn't always had a great track record with dealing with ethnic minorities correctly. There were different races than Caucasian who were mistreated, who were dealt with crookedly, treaties that were not supported, not held up. And we understand that. But here's here's what you got to understand. This is something that we can change. Maybe a little at a time, but we can still change it. If we take the time to address certain wrongs, we might can right them. We can't change their outcomes. They're going to be what they are. But we can still take the time to address things. And I'm not saying that we need to give reparations to everybody who ever had land that was taken from them because sometimes that happens. Uh, governments do that. And it, it's not necessarily a racial thing all the time. But this man, Joseph Oklahoma, needs to be addressed as a hero. His family needs to be given the knowledge they know he was a hero. They they said that at home, Joseph Oklahoma rarely talked about the war. Said if you ask him a direct question, he would give you a direct answer, but not go into great detail. My father was the same way about World War II. He acknowledged that he was in it, but he would not talk about it. If we were watching a war movie at home on TV, he was not in the room. I can understand that. Um, PTSD affects different people different ways. And I understand that. I know what PTSD is. I've had a form of it at times in my life. When I'd done something that affected me greatly afterwards. And I'm not saying I was in any kind of wars or anything like that, but there were things that I have been through that affect me the same, a similar way, not the same way, a similar way. Well, Hollywood, having made a big deal about Alvin York's life up to and including World War One and after, thought maybe this Oklahoma guy would be a great subject for a movie. So they came out 
talked to Mr. Oklahoma and he talked to him. You know, he he spent time with him discussing it. But in the long run, he turned them down. And he turned them down because he didn't want to leave his home. Somebody asked him, why didn't you want to go out to Hollywood and do this film? He said, every day I get up and go down to the creek and go fishing. I do that every day. He said, they can't take that creek to Hollywood. So if I went to Hollywood, where would I fish? So that's why I'm not going. Very humble man. Very humble man. Alvin York saw it a different way. Alvin York used his fame, although his his belief inside him after his religious conversion was the belief that thou shalt not kill is a very real thing. It's something that we need to pay attention to. His, his uh, belief afterwards was, hey, you know, I'm from the sticks. And there's a great big world out there that our kids are not finding out about because we're not teaching them. So he became focused on education. Uh, he built a couple of schools after he came back and he wanted kids to get educated. He wanted them to know about the outside world. He didn't want them to just stay in the backwoods all their lives unless they wanted to. But he was he was great for education. His kids loved him. He loved his kids. He loved other kids. He just he was a, a people person. But I think that heroism doesn't always have to be in the limelight. It's good that it is, but it may not always be good for the person involved. Joseph Oklahoma. Choctaw Indian from Oklahoma fought in World War One, became a code talker, but was one of those guys very similar to Alvin York who realized that you need to stand up and fight sometimes. I realize that this is not a paranormal subject. I I I agree with you it's not. But it is mysterious how we can ignore one Indian, one person, not an Indian, if we can how we can ignore one person for doing what another person did who got recognition for it. Now, looking at American Indians who served in the armed forces, who's the guy from World War II, the famous Indian from World War II, who was in the Marine Corps, who is part of a famous, famous statue in Washington, a Pima Indian from Arizona, named, I think it was Arizona, named Ira Hayes. And the best we have to remember him by is a song by Johnny Johnny uh, Cash that refers to him only as drunken Ira Hayes, the whiskey-drinking Indian, or the brave who went to war. I'm sorry, that's just, that's just lame. That's, that's disrespectful. 
Ira Hayes fought for this country. Ira Hayes gave up some of his youth for this country. And yet, when he came back home, he was sent back to the reservation. You stay out there. We don't need you here. I think it's sad that that's the case. And I think it's time that we need to look at look back on some things and try to correct them. I don't think Joseph Oklahoma felt he needed the Medal of Honor. He knew what he did. He knew why he did it. He did it for those other guys that he was fighting with, fighting for. A line from a movie is one of my favorites, and it, it says something to the effect that you realize that you're not fighting for your country necessarily. You're fighting for that guy next to you, the one you're standing back to back with during battle. You're fighting to keep each other alive. My father fought in World War II. My oldest brother fought in Vietnam in the 1st Infantry Division of the Army. My second brother, Jerry, fought. He was a a combat engineer, but I think he was with the the 4th Infantry. He was attached to the 4th Infantry and served in Vietnam. You know, I honor men like that. I honor men who have served time in the military who may never have heard a gun go bang in anger, but still voluntarily served their country. We're nowhere near any of the Memorial Days for soldiers, but I think we need to remember them all the time and give thanks for those who have done their jobs I hope you will look up Joseph Oklahoma and see if there's something you can do to help get this Medal of Honor awarded. It's deserved. It is deserved. Well, that's what I have for this week's show. I know it's a little strange. It's not really mysterious. But it is one of those things in history that makes you scratch your head and go, hmm. That's interesting. And I hope it was interesting for you. When I first heard the story, I was amazed. I had never heard of the Choctaw Code Talkers. I had heard of the Navajo Code Talkers forever. I mean, they made a lot of movies about them. Not a lot, but they made movies about them. But one thing I found interesting, I saw a list of the Choctaw Indians in this group who were code talkers in World War One, World War One, and I found it interesting that there are two brothers in there with the last name of Davenport, which is my name. I wonder if there's any relation. Anyway, y'all have a great week. Stay warm, stay dry. Stay out of trouble, although that's not always fun. Come back and see us again at Terry's Mysterious Moments. We appreciate you listening. Bye.